Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Captain's Log, the show devoted to discussions and insights into pop culture with an emphasis on cinema in the occasional themed episodes. This is your captain speaking, Jose Valle, and it's time for us to begin our transmission. Stardate 09-23-2019. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Captain's Hog. Today, we're going back into my childhood for a movie that I loved as a kid, and after rewatching it not too long ago, I decided I still enjoy it and it still holds up. Because you know how sometimes you love things as a kid, and then you go back and watch them, and you're like, oh my god, this is garbage. Yeah, no, not this movie. Today, we're talking about Tron Legacy. But before we jump into any of that, uh, there is an update on that short film that I directed and co-wrote with Max Benyon, friend of the podcast. Uh, Also, fun fact for you guys, this is the second time I'm recording this episode because the first time, after I'd gone it all done, it didn't save. So isn't that fun? Anyway, here we go. I'm going to try to not be too upset about it. Uh, But yeah, if you all remember, I've been talking about that short film forever now. It's called Static. I think the last update I gave was that I had finished a rough cut and Max was composing the score um, and he just let me know yesterday that he's all but finished with it and sent me some snippets of what he has so far. And Oh man, it's real good. It's real good. I'm super excited for you all to see this. We put a lot of work into it and I was quite satisfied with the ending result. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, There's another short film that I was a part of called Enemy Territory 2. Um, which is a sequel to a short film that uh, my uh, former professor and former head of the digital communications program, Matt Wagner, had made. Uh, his first uh, short film, Enemy Territory, it, uh, Enemy Territory. it uh, won him some, award- some regional awards, and so we decided to shoot a, sh- uh, a sequel to it, and uh, I was one of the actors in it. So I didn't really help with the production part, but I helped by lending them my time in my beautiful, beautiful mug, and my talent itself. Uh, but no, so he was just, he just let us know that that's almost done, and so that'll be up sometime, and um, it was a lot of fun. So I do want you guys to see that, and I'll have to link it when it comes out with the, sh- the, the show um, that week. I'll have to link it. should be within the next couple of weeks, so keep an eye out for that too. Uh, the Shadows is still under post-production. Um, uh, still, I just sent it to the guy who's doing the music, and he said he'd take a crack at it, but um, he hasn't told me if he has or not. So we'll see. Um, but besides that, it's been a rather uneventful week in my life. Uh, oh, except a taco truck opened in town. And, well, that was probably the highlight of my week. The tacos are by no means anywhere near the tacos I had back home. And they're really nothing to write home about. But uh, they're pretty good. And it's a good uh, change of the fast food choice in this town, which uh, is not very good. But besides that, nothing grand has happened to good old Jose. But you know what? No matter, because that means we can jump into our first segment a lot quicker. So let's get into Did You See the News? Did you see the news that Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell are teaming up for a musical version of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol? Reynolds and Farrell will star in the film from the team behind Daddy's Home and Instant Family, director John Morris and writer Sean Anders. However, there is still no word on what roles Farrell and Reynolds will play. 
Currently, this new Christmas Carol is a package with the two stars that is being shopped around and does not yet have a studio attached. Did you see the box office news? Apparently, Downton Abbey is sitting at the top of the weekend box office with a 13.8 million domestic opening and a worldwide gross of 26 million. This is especially interesting because the film is going up against Rambo Last Blood and Ad Astra. So it's kind of really surprising to see that a period drama beat out an action movie in a Brad Pitt sci-fi adventure. Last Blood opened with a disappointing 7.2 million, which shows that fans are hesitant to go watch it, whether that be because of negative reviews or simply because of fatigue for a franchise that keeps returning to theaters without really a call for it. It's a disappointing number for this franchise because compared to the last four, it's very low. Uh, and Ad Astra came in third place with a 7.16 million domestic opening. Uh, coming in at number four is Hustlers, earning a 5.4 million domestic uh, for a two-week total of 51 million. Finally, at number five is It Chapter Two, nabbing 4.8 million dollars domestically as it enters its third weekend in theaters. It Chapter Two has now earned a cool 166 million dollars here in the states and 179 million dollars in foreign markets. Did you see the rumor that apparently Marvel Studios has reportedly started their search to cast an actress between the ages of 16 to 24 years old to portray the MCU's Kamala Khan, also known as Miss Marvel? The rumor came via Charles Murphy, the host of the podcast Murphy's Law. This would totally make sense uh, that Marvel has begun the search, as we know thanks to their announcements at D23 that we are getting a Miss Marvel Disney Plus series, and with Disney Plus set to premiere pretty soon, you know, they better get on it. Following that Miss Marvel news, did you also see the news that The Eternals has officially begun production? As new set photos released online reveal a first look at Angelina Jolie as Thera. As of now, we know that The Eternals is set to be released on November 6, 2020, and is set to be a hugely important outing for, M for the MCU, as supposedly its post credit scene will help lay the seeds for the X-Men in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And we'll also apparently get some sort of tease for The Savage Land, which... Reportedly, Marvel is also developing a film for. Did you see that once again we have news about Indiana Jones 5? Last time we talked about Indy's next adventure on the show, it was reported that Solo's writer Jonathan Kasdan had taken over as writer from David Coep of Jurassic Park and Mission Impossible fame. But now according to David Coep, he's back in saying, I'm working on it again. We're still trying, and I think we've got a good idea this time. We'll see. He confirmed this to Den of Geek. Uh, I mean, it's hopeful to hear the creative behind classics such as Jurassic Park, uh, 2002 Spider-Man, and Sathora is back. But he was also behind Indiana Jones and the, and the Crystal Skull and 2017's The Mummy remake. The last one is more concerning because actually after having gone back and rewatched Crystal Skull, I really don't think it's as bad as people make it out to be. But The Mummy didn't even bother to watch that one because of how poorly it was received. But most importantly, it just sounds like this movie has suffered from major writer's block, which I think in this instance it can be a good thing because it shows that they really don't want to screw the pooch on this one, and they want to have Indy's last outing be a good one. We know Spielberg and Harrison are coming back. Harrison Ford has made it clear that he is the only Indiana Jones, debunking rumors that he might pass a torch to a younger actor. In the past, stars such as Chris Pratt and Bradley Cooper have been said to be in talks for the role, but Indiana Jones 5 seems like it's all about giving the 70-something legend another adventure. Indiana Jones 5 is expected to arrive on July 9, 2021. 
Did you see the news that Disney is preparing its awards campaign? It has set up campaigns for Avengers Endgame, Aladdin, Toy Story 4, The Lion King, and Frozen 2. So far, special voter screenings have been set up for Endgame and Toy Story 4, but Disney has not announced the specific awards the films will be lobbying for. However, all of this leaves out Captain Marvel, Dumbo, Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, and Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker without reward campaigns. Considering the franchise set in a galaxy far, far away has previously scored big during awards season, Rise of Skywalker may still come in later. Or could it be that Disney is gunning for Avengers Endgame to clear the big categories without competition of Star Wars this year? I mean, at the very least, a John Williams score nomination is in order, right? Following the success of Black Panther last year at the Oscars, including three wins and contending for Best Picture, Disney will likely give similar treatment to Endgame. The MCU culmination may be campaigning for Best Visual Effects, Best Director, Best Picture, and even a Best Actor nomination for Robert Downey Jr. after a decade of playing Tony Stark. If the Academy nominates Endgame in categories besides comic book movies frequent visual effects attention, they could make clear if Black Panther was an exception to the rule or a sign of changing tides toward the genre. And that's all the news we have, but speaking of nominations, here are some of mine for things that you should consider checking out. Q theme music. Alright, check this out. Today's first nomination is Heroes and Villains by the Beach Boys. The Beach Boys, you may be asking yourself after hearing this song. I know, right? That's what I thought. I thought the Beach Boys were only capable of the sort of doo-wop sound that they produced with uh, Surfing USA, but no, man, the Beach Boys had a real... Real interesting career, some real good stuff. Uh, Heroes and Villains shows us that the Beach Boys were totally capable of taking on a more folk and indie feeling to their music. Uh, this this song sort of just really invokes that that feeling of nostalgic uh, autumn time, and it kind of is an uppity kind of folksy song to sort of get you out there and, and experiencing the fun, the fun and the adventures that can be had. In, in the uh, fall time and for me it just reminds me of all the fun and and adventures that I had with my friends growing up and it's really good it's a real good trip down nostalgia memory lane you know going along with that is uh, Love Like Ghost by Lord Huron Love Like Ghost is a really hauntingly beautiful ballad that like all of Huron's previous work sort of embodies this feeling of regret and this feeling of sadness over missed opportunities and longing feelings of someone who has gone and left us. But it also sort of invokes these feelings of happiness for the memories that were accomplished and the sort of non-regret for the time spent. And for me, every time I hear this song, it makes me think of a specific person, specific people, and it just sort of helps me remember those times then yeah it brings to, to mind feelings of what if and what could have been different if I had done this or that but at the same time it just sort of makes me grateful that I did have the times that I had with those people and that I did experience and made those memories and for me this song is just a really good song to listen to around this time because it's sort of a really good transitioning song with the transitioning of times with the transitioning of the weather and the physical aspect of fall this song can help you transition into that mindset too and it's really good and i really like it and i recommend you check it out 
On a happier note, though, we have Views, the podcast hosted by David Dobrik and Jason Nash. You may be familiar with David Dobrik if you haven't been living under a rock. David Dobrik is a YouTube vlogger, and so is Jason Nash. They're both comedic duo from his vlogs, and uh, I love David Dobrik. I could talk about David Dobrik for ages. Uh, I just really like him because he sort of embodies this spiritualness, this sort of mentality of just going for things. You know, he's talked about he's been able to have the success that he has and be able to be where he is now because ultimately he just took the leap. And for me, I really like that. I really like that mentality, and so I really like him. But no, Views is really funny because both Jason and David have a really good chemistry together, obviously, and uh, they really bounce off each other and sort of just click in this podcast setting. Um, they and, and I like the podcast because they give you sort of a in-depth view into their YouTube world, but also behind the scenes. Uh, and they just present themselves as more real people than they do in their vlogs. And they constantly talk about the struggles and how it's not that easy as everyone makes it seem or this and that. And they'll occasionally have celebrity guests because they seem to know everybody in Hollywood or their friends will come on. And it's just really good. And it's a more of a laid back, less, less structural setting that I really quite enjoy. Actually, David has talked about before in interviews that they originally had a studio for this, for his podcast, but he decided that that felt too formal. And so they instead just do it on, on a couch when they're in in their L.A. home or they just do it on the go wherever they may be. Uh, but it's really good. I really recommend you check it out. It's a really funny comedic podcast. It's shorter episodes, too. They never really tend to go over an hour. Most episodes are either in the 30 or 40-minute mark. Um, so, yeah, check it out. Speaking of the YouTube world... Today I'm recommending a YouTube video, which is a change of pace for us. hasn't been done before on the show, but it's really good. It's a, it's a video on Jason Momoa's channel. Uh, I don't remember the title of it, but it's, it's, it's I think it's like visiting my home state of Iowa or something. But it's Jason Momoa visiting his home state of Iowa, which, little known fact, although he was born in Hawaii, Jason Momoa actually grew up in Iowa in a town called Norwalk, which actually isn't too far from here and is very similar to Oskaloosa, a very small town. Like all the towns in Iowa, I guess. Uh, but no, it's really, it's really, in the video, he just goes home to visit his mother and his grandmother and uh, gets together with some of his family. And he talks a little bit about growing up and the good memories that he has in Iowa. And it's just a really beautiful, beautiful 10-minute video. I mean, I, I accidentally stumbled upon it on YouTube just randomly. And then by the end of it, I was like, holy, holy shit, I got to recommend this to other people. Like, this is really good. I really like this. Because one... It's interesting to see Jason Momoa, this sort of hulking, uh, masculine figure, be a lot more. And I, I've always known that he was like this because of interviews and stuff. But I think a lot of people don't know. But he's not always this suave, angry-looking or, or sort of tough-looking guy. He's a very humble and and loving and sort of really kind person. And in this video, you really see that. You know, he's sort of feels a spiritualness busy being back in his home and being able to take us through his memories and stuff like that. And he's a lot more exposed and a lot more open and sort of vulnerable in this than he normally is. And in, and two, he says some really good things in it that sort of made me appreciate that I am in Iowa because lately, you know, I've been having this feeling of I don't want to be here. I literally want to be anywhere else but here. Uh, but in it, he talked about some of the beauty that there is to this state and and some of his adventures and one. And I realize that I will look back on this time, these two years that I've spent here. I will look back on them and 
be glad that I spent it in the, in the heartland of America and these small towns and going to these small restaurants and doing all these stupid little Midwest things with with my friends. And yeah, it's, it's really good. I really recommend you check it out. Uh, you should also check out the movie for this week, which is It Chapter 2. Funnily enough, It Chapter 2 kind of follows this feeling of heart. Um, it Chapter 2 is really good. I think if you like the first one, you'll definitely enjoy this one. There's obviously sort of a change of pace and change of attitude because it's not the younger cast. It's the older version of, of their characters. Um, but I think the comedy still carries over. I honestly think the first one is a little funnier. But Bill Hader and the guy who plays Eddie, I forget his name, older Eddie, they both actually deliver pretty good in terms of comedic timing and whatnot. So it's actually really funny, too. But what I liked about it, Chapter 2, and I won't say too much because it's still in theaters, and I know I'm late to it. You've probably heard everything about it by now. But just watched it over the weekend, finally. Um, What's really good about it is that idea and that feeling of friendship and self-acceptance that was sort of really pushed in the first film is completely driven home in the second outing for the characters. You know, we get to see how broken and battered they are because of their experiences with Pennywise, with it. And we also see how it is for them to get together after being so many years apart. And there's these nice little extra shots that were filmed with the young cast that sort of fill in the gaps that really flesh out the characters more. And the the older adult cast is really just... F- really, really good. They were perfectly cast. All of them delivered really great, strong performances. And it's interesting because a lot of them do act exactly like their younger selves, and it's crazy how much they nailed it. The guy who plays Eddie, especially Bill Hader, I'm, all of them. No, I'm not even going to single them out. They all do a really good job of making you believe that they are, honestly, the older versions of these kids. Um, and I really, really liked it. Uh, it was just really good. There was moments really where it had me tearing up. Yeah, it had me jumping and it had me crying and whatnot. It had me jumping and laughing, but it honestly had me crying in some parts because it was just really, really beautiful, really heartfelt. Um, that's all I'll say on it. Definitely go check it out, though. Yeah, go check it out. And that's all the recommendations we have. Uh, let's jump into our episode topic. The son of a virtual world designer goes looking for his father and ends up inside the digital world that his father designed. He meets his father's corrupted creation and a unique ally who was born inside the digital world. Tron Legacy, baby! A film that came out in 2010, directed by Joseph Kaczynski and starring Jeff Bridges, Garrett Hedlum, and Olivia Wilde. It's a special effects spectacle with great heart and a great fucking score. Let's get into it. Right away, I'm going to say this. I love Jeff Bridges. I love Jeff Bridges. I love Jeff Bridges. And I love his opening narration. It's a super great explanation of the grid. And it sort of already gets you hyped up for what is to come. Um, I listen to this score all the time. And there's one of the pieces in the score, which is called The Grid, which includes his opening narration. And I fucking love it. And I blast it. And I know I'm weird like that. But it's really, really good. I really like it. The Grid. A digital frontier. I tried to picture clusters of information as they moved through the computer. What did they look like? Ships? Motorcycles? Were the circuits like freeways? I kept dreaming of a world I thought I'd never see. And then, one day... You got in. (laughs) That's right, man. 
I got in. God, from the beginning, this movie does not fuck around and it totes its amazing score. It wants you to know that Daft Punk absolutely fucking nailed it and they're not going to let you forget it. Uh, oh boy, that de-aging effect though. It's not aged well, has it? It's very uncanny valley. I, the de-aging of Jeff Bridges really just wasn't, it just doesn't hold up. Maybe for its time it did, but uh, I don't know doesn't now and i know it's been nine years and we've advanced a lot but rubber face i do like that uh or the old segment with the old tvs uh portraying the playing the news footage is also a little weird um i think i kind of get what they're doing but it just seems like a weird change of pace compared to the rest of the movie like it i don't know it was just weird to me um I do love that transition, though, of young Sam on his bike to grown-up Sam on his motorcycle a lot. I really, really like that cut. I do. Um, and, oh, man, do I love the Son of Flynn theme. I fucking love that theme. It's just bloody brilliant. It's really good. Uh, okay, it is a little weird that the board is having a meeting so late. Like, why are they having a meeting in the middle of the night when everybody's cleared out and the streets are empty? Like, I know that it's because they're having this launch, but... Why are they, like, it's almost treated like the launch just happens to be happening and they're having a normal board meeting at, like, fucking 11 or midnight? Like, what? I don't know. That's kind of weird. Uh, I do love, though, that shot of all the hard drives as Sam walks among them. And I also like that they are lit up orange, sort of hinting that, like, the grid and com is under darker or worse influences. That was pretty cool. Small Cillian Murphy cameo. Fun fun that's fun he's a scarecrow from uh batman and well he's been in a ton of other stuff he's a pretty good actor but yeah uh <laughs> it's really funny that they make the joke that uh, there are really no improvements to this new operating system and that this company is overcharging schools and that they really only care about profits <laughs> it's funny because that would never happen in the real world <laughs> uh so how about that iphone 11 huh Sam Flynn is insane. Just insane and unhinged. Yeah, it's a badass exit to parachute off the building. But damn, hey, that's bloody nuts. You're crazy, man. That is just crazy. Anyway. But holy shit, the balls on that security officer. Hell no, I would not get on that beam. I have never been that devoted to any job. If it was my job to be that security uh, officer and some guy had stolen something from our hard drives, I'll chase him, sure. But when he gets to the top of the building and he climbs his beam standing over the edge, I'm like, cool, nope, well, this is as far as I go. I'll wait down here, call for backup. Are you going to jump off? Cool. I'm not climbing up there because what am I going to do? Tackle you? Bring you down for, from that beam with me? Hell no. I do not get paid enough. And if my boss was like, hey, man, you didn't get that guy who I'd be like, hey, Jerry, listen the fuck up, man. I'm not fucking risking my life on that beam to get some some fucking hard drive shit back. You do not pay me enough. I don't have enough benefits and I'm not going to die for that. Oh, do we have like beam falling off a of beam insurance? No, I didn't think so. OK, are you going to run up there after him? No, he's going to jump. Obviously, what the hell am I going to do? What difference is going to make? What I'm trying to say is that is one ballsy-ass security officer. How the hell did that dog unwrap that burger? Because Sam gives him the burger wrapped up. 
And then, when it cuts back to the dog, the burger is completely unwrapped like as if a human had done it and he's eaten it. So either one of two things. No, the only explanation offered in movie is that this dog unwrapped the burger that perfectly. So either he unwrapped it with his mouth and it just happened to plop open that perfectly, or the dog stood up on two hands and or on two legs and formed hands or somehow got his paws to work like hands and then unwrapped it, ate it like a human being, and then sat down like a dog. That's the only explanation for this, man. The shot of Sam's face through the rear view mirror on his bike as he pulls up to the arcade is really good. I really like that it's a sick shot. The laser effect getting into the grid is real cool because it's sort of a mix of retro special effects with modern and it's kind of like this weird like distortedness that I really like. Uh, God, the grid. The grid. It looks so good. Still to this day, one of the special effects in this film that just really aged well. It's really, really good. I think this this film won a couple of awards for its special effects uh, when it first came out. And I mean, it, it makes sense. This is one of the special effects that really just is good. It And never at any point does it seem to me like, oh, well, it's obviously CGI. Like, I know it's CGI. But never at any point I'm like, oh, that's bad CGI, you know? Oh, man, the armor is so cool. It's so cool. I... I really, really like the armor in this movie. I read somewhere that um, the costume budget for this uh, movie was like insanely off the charts. It was like sixty thousand dollars for just to just fit one of the racers to just have a costume for one of the racers. So like the budget for the costumes on this movie was like upwards of like ten million or something like that. And uh, the the costumes, which is pretty cool, the lights on the costumes weren't CGI. They were actually real lights that were retrofitted into the costumes but the thing was the battery only lasted for 12 minutes before it completely just died so they had to shoot turn on the suit and the and the cut and then turn the, sh- the the suit off and they were so sensitive the little components inside that they couldn't sit down so they had to just be sort of propped up against a board while they were you know in between takes pretty crazy uh garrett headlam sam he's really fucking good in this he actually really is a pretty strong performance i actually really like him he sort of really nails the nuances and the 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 feelings and the emotions of the character quite well daft punk was perfect for this movie and this movie was perfect for daft punk i didn't know they had it in them to make a cinematic score but my god did they fucking deliver and also what a better movie for them to do it for you know like yeah disc wars love me some disc wars really really great scene really great just love disc wars uh, yeah, that de-aging effect is uh, very uncanny valley, isn't it? It would have worked if we were meant to believe that Clue was meant to look off, but we aren't. You know, if, if at some point the characters in the movie had been like, oh man, Clue looks weird, doesn't he? And then Jeff Ridge was like, yeah, well, he's a program and he's meant to look weird or whatever. Then they would have been like, cool, whatever. But they never say that. We're supposed to think that he looks like a regular human being. It's, yeah. But... Bridges is still pretty damn menacing as Clue, which sort of helps distract from his appearance. I felt my, you know, I, I felt myself focusing more on the performance that was being given than the look. So maybe it works out. Uh, there are some moments of just really beautiful imagery in this film. Not a lot, but there are some. That slow motion shot of Sam creating his light cycle. Oh man, that one is really just good. I like that. Uh, you know, the, the sort of quietness of it all, and the... Uh, it's just good. It's good, man. The light cycles. Oh, man, those are so damn cool. 
I've always wanted to ride one of those. I mean, they're pretty, they look like they're pretty unconventional, but they're fucking cool. Uh, Olivia Wilde is pretty damn good as Korra. She really embodies the naiveness and childlike innocence of uh, the character from the minute she's introduced. But she also delivers in the more badassery that comes with the character later on. And actually, uh, Olivia Wilde uh, learned and performed a lot of the stunts that Korra does in the movie. So that's pretty cool. Uh, The dinner scene is really interesting because the filmmakers were not afraid to sort of embrace the awkwardness that would exist in a situation like that uh, with the cuts and the silence. They really just let you linger in the silence. They're not just like, oh, they man, they're happy, whatever. They're like, no, yeah, this father and son haven't seen each other in 30 years, 20, 30 years. It's going to be weird, and we're going to let you feel that weirdness and that awkwardness, and I really, really like that. I do love the little interjects in the dialogue that Bridges does, like when he's explaining what happened in the early days, saying, we were jamming, man, because, yeah, he's from the 80s, and he hasn't been in the modern world. He still thinks that's what people talk like, and it's just really good because it also feels like maybe Jeff Bridges just did that, you know? Maybe that's just how Jeff Bridges talks. I like how the memory of the sort of glitches with each strike because it's almost sort of insinuating that with each punch or whatever Kevin Flynn was flinching and the memory is thus flinching I don't know it was just really cool I like that Bridges is pretty damn good as an old and battered Flynn because you can still see that he's trying to be this happy sort of at peace guy but you really see just the toll on his face and in his eyes of of his guilt and his feeling of failure and the complete hopelessness that he takes with him every day. It's really good. Good performance. It's interesting how the dreams look in the grid. Uh, well, at least Kevin Flynn's dreams, how they're sort of this distorted, negative-looking thing. And it's interesting because later on we see them in full color and whatnot, and it could just be because of the changing character emotion and whatnot, but I don't know. Pretty good. I love that Daft Punk cameo. They definitely look like they belong in the grid. If you had if you had told me that they were just background characters, I would have believed it. But, uh, man, you know what? We don't know that they're not programs that escape from the grid. We don't know that. They could be. They probably are, actually. Uh, Michael Sheen is real good as Caster slash Zeus. He's so sort of effing weird and flamboyant, and I just really love it. Uh, Michael Sheen, I'm a, kind of a fan of Michael Sheen. He was on, he was on a podcast with David Tennant <clears throat> and he uh, I don't know I just really liked him in that and he he's a, I think he's a pretty good character actor. Again I like the moments of silence in this movie for instance Clue inspecting Flynn's hideout. It's just sort of quiet throughout the entire thing because they're you know they're so curious about what everything means or programs they've never experienced these things and it's just really interesting to see that portrayed and how they, the filmmakers weren't afraid to just do it you know I think that's sort of a thing that we're lacking in modern uh, blockbuster movie making where everything has to be, you know, high intensity, high speed or whatever. But I really like when there's sort of slower, quieter moments. Again, Daft Punk shines with a theme during the Fight Club. They just really nail it home there. The uh, you're messing with my Zen thing, it's such a great line because he's, you know, Flynn is like being trying to, is getting angry at his son or whatever. And he's because he's totally screwed things up. Right before he blows up, he's like, oh, you know what, man? You're really messing with my Zen thing. It just feels like such a Jeff Bridges thing to say that I really, really love it. Um, I do love that exchange between Flynn and Sam as they head to the portal. 
uh, it's really beautiful. And even though not a lot is said, it just feels like a very genuine conversation between an absentee father and his son. Uh, Rinsler is pretty badass and scary. Uh, Rinsler is a, a clues enforcer. He's pretty good. And I love that reveal that he's actually Tron, too. Uh, there's a lot to unpack with Clue's speech to his forces. Uh, it can be compared to that of a dictator addressing his troops with the framing and the, the visuals. But uh, there's also a parallel. It's also a parallel to the speech that Flynn is seen giving at the ENCOM conference at the beginning of the movie. They even end with the same line about destiny, you know. Um, the last lines of Clue's speech are very dictator-like, where he says, be loyal to me and I will never betray you. Like, that's such a dictator thing to say. I love how Jarvis just said, says the uh, long live the users line after Sam has derezzed the guards because it just shows you that he's this sort of spineless, you know, grunt. Uh, I love the little radical man that Jeff Bridges says is all the action is happening because, again, he's from the 80s, man. And I like, again, how Jarvis once again switches sides by saying death to the users moments before he's killed by Clue. I do love that aerial battle. The fog, the rocks, the darkness, the emptiness of the actual, the emptiness and the actual fighting, it's all just great. I fucking love Rensler becoming Tron once more, sort of redeeming himself and remembering his original programming and who he's meant to be. Uh, I do love the softer version of the main theme that plays as they arrive at the portal. I really love the main theme of this movie. I think it's quite beautiful. Uh, and oh boy, that reveal, that clue beat them there. Pretty damn good. The framing is just superb. I really do fucking love that confrontation between Clue and Flynn. And just recently, I've realized that there could sort of be a comparison between Flynn and Clue and, in Christianity, uh, God and the devil. The reason for this is, one, uh, Flynn is referred to constantly as the creator. So there's already a parallel between him and a Christian god. Clue is this program who is upset because he was made with the purpose of creating the perfect system, right? And then all of a sudden these new things showed up, these ISOs, and his creator who had loved and admired him and seen him as his greatest creation, all of a sudden saw these as greater beings and greater creations and was more focused with them than he was with his original intent. And so he feels betrayed, he feels jealous, and he feels lost without purpose. Now, in some iterations of the story of the banishment of Lucifer, uh, the you know, Satan, the devil. In some iterations, Lucifer was the right-hand man of God, and he presided over heaven with him, being his, his, his go-to guy, his enforcer. God all of a sudden created these new beings, humans, humanity, mankind, and he ordered the host of heaven, the angels, to bow down before them as his greatest achievement and his greatest creation. Now, Lucifer, felt betrayed by this because he thought of himself as, as God's greatest creation. He thought angels were superior to, the, to mankind and refused to kneel. And he fought against him. And just like Clue, he formed a coup, unfortunately. You know, not unfortunately, fortunately for us Christians. Uh, he was defeated and he was banished. But there's that sort of really similar parallel, and I hadn't realized it until recently, but I actually really, really like that. It's a really cool little parallel. I feel like you'd be here. Michaels haven't been time, have they? No, you don't look so bad. I did everything, everything you ever asked. I know you did. I executed the plan, as you saw it. You, you promised that we would change the world together. You 
broke your promise. I know. I understand that. I took the system to its maximum potential. I created the perfect system! The thing about perfection is that it's unknowable. It's impossible, but it's also right in front of us all the time. You wouldn't know that because I didn't when I created you. I'm sorry, Blue. I'm sorry. And I really do love the line where after he's had this confrontation with him, Clue just looks at, at Flynn and he goes, Why? He's my son. And it's just so fucking great. It's great. I love it. God, that theme at the end is so fucking good. I love it. I love the score in this movie. It's just so damn great. Great ending. Uh, maybe it's the music and the gravity of the situation, but... Flynn sacrificing himself gets me every time I watch this movie. It's just, it just does. It's really beautiful. I like it. You know, it's sort of a shame that Disney gave up on Tron. And I hope that one day they change their mind. I mean, it had been 20 years, 20 whatever years since the last one they made. And they put so much work and effort into getting this one off the ground after it had been in development hell for so long. And then they... After, after, after watching this and after watching the little short that followed the movie, which was called uh, Tron the Next Day, which sort of, sort of showed you what was happening post-Tron Legacy in the world and how Sam Flynn was taking back Encom and he put Alan in charge and Alan and Ram from the original movie had been leading this whole Flynn Lives movement. And it was kind of revealed that Dillinger, Edward Dillinger, Cillian Murphy's character and his father, who was the original villain in the first one, were still sort of scheming and plotting. So, to me, it's kind of sad that after all this work that was put in and all this excitement and hype that there was for what was allegedly going to be called Tron Destiny, they just ultimately gave up on it. And I understand, I understand that it could be financial or budgetary reasons or whatever, but I think that it, with today's technology, with today's visual effects, a Tron uh, Tron likes a sequel would be absolutely beautiful and astounding. They could really try to push again the boundaries of special effects. I just think they shouldn't give up on Tron Legacy so quickly. I think Tron, another Tron movie would be a nice change of pace and sort of a different option from the the Star Wars and, and Avengers and MCU movies, that are, which I love. But it would just be a nice little another one of these sort of revival franchises and I think it would do quite well in today's world but you know what I'm not the guy in charge but if anybody from Disney is listening to this Bob Iker I know you're an avid listener of the show if you're listening hey man let's let's get on this I'd be more than happy to come and help Tron Legacy is a great film about a lot of different things it's about the bond between a father and a son about growing up with abandonment issues about letting one's work distract them from what truly matters in life, about discrimination, about fear of change, about jealousy, and about feeling lost without purpose, like Clue did. And ultimately, it's about the power of love and the importance not of physical strength, but the strength of heart. It's a film that invokes nostalgia for something that some, like myself, never even experienced. But regardless, that feeling still remains. The title Tron Legacy refers not to the legacy of the character of Tron, but rather the legacy of his ideas, his actions, and his beliefs. That regardless of how dark the situation gets, we must always fight for the users, the outcasts, the underdogs. We must always stand against the system, 
the machine, the oppressors. And with that, it's time to wrap the show up. If you like the show, make sure to leave a five-star review, which you can do in-app. Make sure to write a review, and then I'll read your review on, on the show. I'd really appreciate it, plus it really helps the show. You can support the show by going to patreon.com slash captainslogcast and donate a dollar. Anything helps helps me keep the lights on. We uh, recently had a massive thunderstorm that flooded my dorm, so I don't have any more clothes. And I've been forced to walk around in nothing more than old running shorts that are way too small, and I don't know how much longer I can do this. Please. Send money my way, please. But remember, if you donate, it all goes towards improving the show, getting better recording equipment, etc., and it helps with any with my other creative endeavors, for example, my short films. And of course, if you donate, not only will you receive access to early content, but you will also get a shout-out on the show, and you will get a credit on the short films as a financial contributor, in which a lot of these short films, I'm planning on entering them short in a short film contest, so if you're a business or something like that, it might be good opportunity for you to get your name out there and for people to to know about you uh, you can follow me on instagram at j.via underscore and the show on twitter at captain's log pot let's try to get 50 followers for the uh show's twitter huh I, I retweet news and i tweet funny things and that's honestly where you're going to find the most updates about this show so if you're an avid listener and you really care about this so mom if you're listening mom you should start a twitter and, and uh, go follow this show no but uh, but really though let's try to get the show to 50 it would, it, that's honestly where I think the most engagement will happen once this takes off I think that's what I'll be interacting with fans the most so with listeners so I'd really appreciate that uh, you can also subscribe on YouTube where you can find me as Jose Valle make sure to tell your friends and family about the show if you enjoy it and make sure to write in to captainslogcast at gmail.com with suggestions on episode topics and guests you'd like to have back on or recommendations for Check This Out. I'm actually planning some really fun stuff for the October episode, so if you could write in with your favorite horror movie or movie that you always watch around Halloween time, I would really, really appreciate it. Make sure to subscribe and download on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play in any other podcast directory. With that, everybody, we have reached the end of our show. Tune in next week at the same time and on the same frequency for another episode. I've been your Captain Jose Valle, and this has been Captain's Log. End of transmission.